This is Unfilter, episode 336 for November 7th, 2020. We're Dan Rustin in Savannah Guthrie in New York, the moment the entire country has been waiting for after a very close race. NBC News now projects that Joe Biden has won the Keystone State, Pennsylvania, and its 20 electoral votes. And that means we can now project that former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. He is president-elect Joseph Robinette Biden at 77 years old. Uh, Chuck, we'll turn to you. This map is uh, is uh, a real interesting one, not necessarily the path that anyone thought would have unfolded, but here we are. Hello, friend, and welcome into episode 336 of the People's History Podcast. And boy, does it feel like history this week. How are you doing? <laughs> are you doing all right? I got to admit, taking a few shots here and there has been very appealing each night as we have watched this thing unfold. It is now November 7th, a Saturday, 2 o'clock in the afternoon Pacific time, as I record a special live edition of the Unfilter Show. We've been talking in the Right Now Discord chat room all day long as the as the people's history has unfolded. And I want to talk more about that in a moment, but I, I kind of want to do what we do here on the show is I want to bring us up to date on where we're at. Um, so let's start with uh, what really was kind of something new for this election. I've always kind of been a bit of a news hound, so I've always kind of watched this stuff with interest. But this time around, because of the length of the selection process, the networks went like all in 24-7 live stream covering it nonstop like CNN covering a crashed airplane. Ed O'Keefe joins us now for more on this closely fought presidential race. Ed, so good to see you. I like the way you put it, the fifth day of Tuesday. Uh, <laughs> for, for you especially, uh, you've been doing a great job. We've been enjoying watching. Um, big picture right now, where do things stand at this moment? Well, as Michelle said, four or five states really, you know, the fate of the republic hangs in their hands. Uh, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, and North Carolina, which is going to take a few extra days because they gave people nine days. Did you catch the, uh, he drops it in there just real quick because this guy's uh, talking like a machine gun because he's, <laughs> I think he's drinking a lot of coffee and maybe something else. But the, the Republic hangs in the hands of Pennsylvania. States really, you know, the fate of the Republic hangs in their hands. Uh, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, and North Carolina, which is going to take a few extra days because they gave people nine days to turn in ballots, absentee ballots. So they may be the finale later on. But for now, we really are focused primarily on Pennsylvania, which is expected to drop a bunch of more boats later today. Did he say boats? It sounded like he said boats. They continue to just tap those touch screens for hours. I, I, I tell you what, I was watching all of the networks, and they're all sitting there tapping their stupid touch screens like it's 2008, and that's what they filled a lot of their airtime with. But eventually it was called after a bunch of ballots were counted. The networks started to make their projections. Now, it's worth noting here, if you're outside the States, you may not know this, this is not how the election is called. It's It still remains to be certified. That's... That's actually one of the interesting things about this is it really has been presented this entire time. In fact, the New York Times even tweeted this and then had to delete it. It's been presented as if the media calls the president. These are just these are projections. So you have to remember that it's actually not certified yet. But it, it early this morning, as I was waking up on the West Coast, Fox News was one of the first networks not only to call 
Arizona for Biden, but actually call the entire election for Biden. The Fox News decision desk can now project that former Vice President Joe Biden will win Pennsylvania and Nevada, putting him over the 270 electoral votes he needs to become the 46th president of the United States. Donald Trump, the 45th president of the United States, who stated in this process, I will never give up fighting for you and our nation, will be denied a second term. That has not happened since 1992 and President George H.W. Bush. Keep in mind, the Trump campaign is in the midst of waging legal challenges in several states, but the path is clear for the new president-elect. The states will all need to officially certify the vote. In the middle of a pandemic, almost 150 million Americans voted, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris will receive the most votes of any presidential ticket ever. Senator Kamala Harris will be the first woman and the first woman of color to become vice president of the United States. President Trump garnered five and a half million more votes than he did in 2020 than he did in 2016 and closed the gap in the final days after barnstorming the nation. Whether he chooses to concede or decides to wait until these legal challenges play out, is yet to be seen. I think the Trump campaign is a bit shocked because of the turnouts they had at those rallies. You know, they 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 saw a lot of repeat of what happened with Clinton. Trump would have 25,000 show up. Biden had 250 show up. And I think they read that as an indication that there was a lot of uh, momentum around there. Implementing them. I'm going now to live networks. The live networks are covering all of the crowds. Not only that, she had so many crowds out. The she looks like me. Um, that is huge. When we look that back, drumming you're hearing in the background is all of the crowds, and they're holding up pictures of Kamala and other uh, figures from the past in color. Uh, I, 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 I accepted the argument for a while that. Well, the reason why uh, Trump rallies are so huge and Biden rallies are so t- so unattended, that they're putting now now it's been now it's been revealed that they're putting stock vehicles in there from GM. GM just hooked them up with a ton of uh, a ton of Jeeps and other vehicles that they're just leaving parked there where Biden keeps having these events. Nobody's actually they're nobody's cars. They're just parked there to make it look to pack it. And you see indications like that where you hear about all these people, at the Trump rallies and you see it. And then and then you hear about nobody showing up for these Biden things. You think maybe there's real momentum there. And but then people say, well, no, no. You see, the reason why nobody was going to the Biden rallies was because of COVID. You see, everybody on the left is afraid of COVID. So they're not going to the Biden rallies and they're going to go out and they're going to vote. They're going to vote from home. They're not going to go out like the Republicans. They're going to vote from home because of COVID. They're not going to come out because of COVID. You see, that's what everybody told us. They told us that the Republicans didn't care. And so they would go out and vote in person. And that everybody on the left, who was a mask wearing scared person of COVID, they would stay home and they would do a mail-in ballot. And they weren't going to come to rallies because that's just a super spreader event. And yet, city from city from city across the nation, we see hundreds, even thousands of people out in the streets right now wearing cloth masks at best, most of them not wearing them properly, not social distancing, sharing wine bottles, sharing joints, which has come on the air several times and they have to cut away immediately. But I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes. It was just as we went on the live stream, they were talking about it too. Fox News reported on it. But the thing about this is, 
it, it kind of completely invalidates the argument that nobody was going to Biden rallies because of COVID. Because look at them. Look at them. They're just in the street. They're just in the streets by thousands right now. They clearly they clearly have um, some kind of organization and, and some kind of will willingness to go out in the public as a crowd. So I, I just don't know. I, I, I find it I find it hard to believe that all of a sudden now they're willing to go out, but they wouldn't be they wouldn't go to rally. So I can understand why the Trump team would make that calculation. It's an understandable mistake to make. Uh, but Trump, you know, he's not he's not generally known for losing. That's not what his brand is all about. And so, you know, he's going to handle this kind of rough. And it's been a bit of a mixed message this evening from the White House. From the president, we have reaction from the Trump campaign. But right now, the president is playing golf at his golf course in Virginia. And that's a shot from the Associated Press. He's out playing golf. Maybe that's a sign he's processing this. Uh, as this announcement has been made that Joe Biden will be the 46th president of the United States, we know that the Trump campaign is saying, hold on, we're fighting the legal battle. Our projection is our projection. Let's bring in Chief White House Correspondent John Roberts. John, what are you hearing? Now, this is really kind of funny, and it really shows you how connected Fox News has been to this White House. Uh, sorry, I just uh, I, I had Rudy Giuliani on the phone. <laughs> I'll get back to him in just a moment. He's got one AirPod in one ear, and then he's got his IFB to Fox News in the other ear. Uh, obviously, the Trump campaign knew that this was happening. Uh, and I also know that if I was the president, I wouldn't be making a lot of putts right now. Uh, <laughs> what does that mean? I know if I was the president, I wouldn't be making a lot of putts right now. What does that even mean? Happening. Uh, and I also know that if I was the president, I wouldn't be making a lot of putts right now. Uh, the Trump campaign obviously knew that this was coming because they had a statement uh, that was ready to go uh, when this news came down. Uh, the president claiming that Joe Biden is rushing to claim victory and that he's doing that and that there is complicity with the uh, with the media to, to hide the truth. Uh, the president basically indicating that this does not end it, at least not for him. A statement from the, uh, the from the president through the campaign saying, quote, beginning Monday, our campaign will start our campaign will start prosecuting our case in court to ensure election laws are fully upheld and the rightful winner is seated. The American people are entitled to an honest election. That means counting all legal ballots and not counting any illegal ballots. This is the only way to ensure that the public has full confidence in our election. All right, let's talk about this for a moment. So Monday's the day they want to launch their legal salvo. Um, it looks like at this point, everyone's decided it's, it's in for Biden. It seems like they're, they're going to have to really present something really solid at this point. Uh, and I, I wonder, I say don't be so quickly to dismiss the voter fraud idea. I think initially, and I am one of these people, um, I'm a little quick to dismiss it because, you know, it's Rudy and team. And uh, I think they just are clowns and I don't trust really anything that they do. But you have to really appreciate the fact that there's a lot of room for possibility of mistake, error and human flaw. So many states were unprepared to handle mail-in ballots. My home state of Washington, which made the conversion to mail-in ballots, ballots, and so did Oregon, uh, says it takes five years to transition from in-person voting to mail-in ballots. Uh, these, these states had six months because of the pandemic. I got a link in the show notes if you're curious about that source. There's lots of room 
for basic human mistake here. Not even malice. Just mistake where it's off. Also, when you have a bunch of people who have no idea what they're doing, a bunch of volunteers in this hodgepodge system, there's a lot of room for someone who does want to act maliciously to gain access. A lot of just through social engineering, they can gain access. And just because it's the Trumpy, the wacky Trumpy squad, the Trumpy team, I don't think it means we have to completely dismiss this, these possibilities. I think, and it's this is just part of being a gracious winner, by the way. If you're from on the left, this is a key part of being a gracious winner. I think the best move is to wait for the Trump team to put evidence forward. Uh, I... You know, I I did the I did the deep dive, <laughs> and you can find plenty of stuff that is like super suspicious. I could have show after show of clips and videos. They're like, huh, what's up with that? And you can find link dumps of story after story. I have some in the show notes already, but I I don't really think it's worth getting sort of sucked into all of that because the Trump team has to make their case and they'll put the most credible evidence forward. They have to. That's how this process works. And so we'll see what the most credible evidence is and they, they're, they're, all eyes are going to be on this. So I say, wait for it. Because is it so crazy to consider that the very same people who stole the election from Bernie would steal the election from the greatest threat to our democracy ever? I mean, don't forget that. We know they stole the election from Bernie. We saw it in the emails. So is it so hard to believe that there could be some shenanigans? Isn't it kind of common sense that Bernie should have been the nominee in 2016? And maybe you could even argue in 2020. But we know in 2016, we know they rigged it against him. And we also know that Bernie would have won with a landslide. That's my particular belief is I think a big part of the vote for Trump. And I've talked to these people. They're break-the-system voters. Anything that just crashes this train wreck and gets it over soon enough so we can rebuild and get it right, the better. And if we don't do it soon enough, we're going to get stomped by China. That's what. That's why a lot of people are voting for Trump. So is it so hard to believe that they rigged it against one of their own, that they'd rig it against Bernie? I mean, that they'd, that they'd rig it against Trump? I mean, we know who these people are. And maybe it's worth considering... That because the system is so wackadoo, but maybe voter voter fraud, maybe it happens every time. Maybe every election there is voter fraud. Federal all the way down. Maybe, maybe just a lot of people are paying attention this time. Maybe this election is so important that even with all that attention, they had to make their move. And it's not over, right? You could see, too, like this is like almost bacon territory here, but you could see like if the courts go through and something, one of these legal battles that sticks so far, as I record, Trump's like zero to nine for legal challenges, by the way. It's not going their way. But what happens if all of a sudden Trump is is now the victor because of, uh, you know, recounts and some legal battle? Could you imagine? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> Could you imagine the violence? All these people out there celebrating right now would start breaking windows real quick. And I, I'd say it's worth just the whole reason why it's worth considering and keeping an open mind is not only is it gracious to allow the loser to absorb the loss in their own process. That's a gracious thing to do. 
And if their process is to go through the legally viable challenges that they are allowed to pursue via our system, then that's being gracious and allowing them to do that and let them lose in court. What's the big deal? If everything's legitimate, let them lose. Let Trump lose in court. In fact, if you think about it, that'd be a lot better. It'd be a lot more decisive if he just lost in the courts. If he lost in the courts, then he could then he can't go on and claim it was stolen from him. If he's lost, if he loses in the courts, well, there we go. It's right there. That's a decision. So give me a good reason why after four years of salivating at every opportunity to remove Trump. With Russiagate, the impeachment, every other thing they could think of. Why wouldn't they attempt to sway the election? And if you have the cover of a pandemic, why not? Why not try it with the mail-in ballots? Maybe there's something to it. I'm not saying there is, actually. I'm just, I am playing devil's advocate because nobody else is. Nobody else in the media is playing devil's advocate. And I think it's anti-intellectualism not to even consider the other side. It's just simply that. Whatever happens, we'll get answers eventually. This process will be decided. And I think this may be a best case for Trump. Let's say that, you know, he goes through some of these legal battles and he fails. That could be a best case for Donald Trump and the United States. He can have his chance to play out his legal cases. He should have that right. And the left should gracefully let him have it if they're graceful winners. Eventually, Trump will have to concede defeat. He will do that, especially if his legal paths fail him. He will do that. But we'll still be able to claim the election was stolen. He can still have the, you know, that, you know how he is, that, the way he kind of generates his own reality. He can roll that into whatever comes next. And the left has their guy in now, and Cam. And maybe they can tone it down a little bit. Maybe Portland can stop burning. And the free world can stop getting its updates via Twitter, which would be (laughs) really nice. So we have to watch how they lose, right? I've always said that on this show. I think I learned a lot in 2016 when the Democrats lost. We saw what sore losers they were. We saw how they failed to recognize what caused them to lose and how they blamed it on Russia. And how the party that used to be no wars got in bed with the intelligence agencies. Now let's watch how they act when they win. You can tell a lot from a person on that, too, how they win. How will they handle this? Will they handle it graciously? And don't forget, watching someone lose, that standard applies to Trump and the Republicans, too. How will they handle the loss of the White House? I think we're starting to get an idea. But so far, as far as the the people, there's no violence in the streets. No Trump, crazy right-wing terrorists are out there shooting up people. I don't think that's how it would be going right now if Trump was declared victor this morning. I think if Trump was declared victor this morning, we would have massive riots and protests right now. I can't, I can't know that, obviously. But it seemed like a lot of cities were making that bet. You know, that's not cheap to board up all of those businesses and make it look nice and hire the contractors to come in. And by the way, lumber is super expensive right now, too. So they were making the bet that if Trump won, there would be violence. And now that Biden has been declared victor, you see people from Trump's side out there protesting, but so far, no violence. It may happen. It may happen. But so far, no violence. 
So we'll see how they lose and how they win. Let's continue on, though. I have a few more clips for you, then I want to check in on media reaction. So we have uh, Trump's statement. It's, I'm going to keep on fighting. <laughs> He's also released another statement saying that if the legal pass fail, he will help the transition. That, by the way, was a statement he released later today. Uh, and Biden has released a statement after uh, being projected the winner as well. A statement now from Vice, former Vice President Biden. George, we now have the first reaction from the president-elect. I'm going to go ahead and read this statement in full. Joe Biden saying, I am honored and humbled by the trust the American people have placed in me and in Vice President-elect Harris. In the face of unprecedented obstacles, a record number of Americans voted, proving once again that democracy beats deep in the heart of America. He goes on to say with the campaign over, it's time to put the anger and the harsh rhetoric behind us and come together as a nation. It's time for America to unite and to heal. Is that a message to the protesters to stand by and stand back? He concludes by saying, we are the United States of America, and there's nothing we can't do if we do it together. Yep, talking like a president now. Talking like a president for sure. And I have to say, it's like a, it's like a switch was flipped. Trump isn't even the president of the United States anymore. I've never seen all of the media just disregard Trump like I am witnessing now. I guess it, it seems... It seems inconceivable to me because he's still the president so he's still newsworthy verification measures whatsoever. well we're interrupting this because what the president of the united states is saying in large part is absolutely untrue i couldn't believe it when i was watching this several of the networks just decided when Tr when trump was doing his response press hearing they just decided they weren't going to run it just 45 seconds into it a lot of he began and 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 we're not going to allow it to keep going because it's not true. Yeah, and we have to protect you. We don't want you to accidentally get exposed to the bad information. He began with there were illegal, there were legal votes. And if they only count the legal votes, I easily win. If they count the illegal votes, they're trying to steal the election. There is not a scintilla of evidence that this is true. Shep's really kicking ass at his new job over at CNBC, huh? Uh, and But, of course, leave it up to CNN now, who is, you can tell, like, the weight of the world has been lifted from the news actor's shoulders. Too bad the executives up in the uh, upper floors are scrambling now to figure out how they're going to pay the bills now that their cash cow is out of the White House. But the on-air talent, well, they have their opinions they have their thoughts about Donald Trump, like your uh, buddy, uh, Anderson Cooper. Oh, my gosh, it's Anderson Cooper, everybody. We have never seen, really, other than, well, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this from a president of the United States. And uh, I think, as Jake said, it is, it's sad, and it is truly pathetic. And, of course, it is dangerous, and, of course, it will go to courts. But you'll notice the president did not have any evidence presented at all. I'm going to just pause right here. Uh, because the Trump White House has made it clear they're going to present evidence on Monday to the courts. So, by the way, like we know that. And then uh, additionally, give me the evidence on Russiagate. You know, you, you made three years of hay out of Russiagate and your only source was Adam Schiff and a retired intelligence official who had lied in front of Congress. So uh, where where was the evidence there? Nothing. No real actual evidence uh, of any kind of fraud talked about people putting up papers in windows. He talked about things that he'd seen on the internet. 
that is the president of the United States. That is the most powerful person in the world. And we see him like an obese turtle on his back, flailing in the hot sun, realizing his time is over. But he just hasn't accepted it, and he wants to take everybody down with him, including this country. That is not winning gracefully. By the way, the show's going to make the judgment right here. Not winning gracefully. But now you see we must go all in and destroy all Trump-style politics. Any politician who's doing something, quote-unquote, Trumpian, must be eliminated from the system. When I heard Marco Rubio, I guess the day before Election Day, uh, kind of saluting the uh, folks, the Trump caravan. This is your buddy Brywy, still relegated to his position on MSNBC. And to really kind of make sure they get really good balance on MSNBC, they've brought on the founder of the Lincoln Project, the guy, one of the one of the main people behind the Lincoln Project. I don't think it's what's her face's husband. It's the other guy that almost ran the Biden bus off the road. You know, you hear something like that from someone who's supposed to be a mainstream Republican senator. You realize that Trumpism, and that's part of what the Lincoln Project was formed to defeat, Trumpism is a powerful thing. It may be a loser politically, but do you do you anticipate it to survive Donald Trump? And who better to ask? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Look, we have almost 48 percent of this country that's voted for a statist, deplorables, authoritarian movement with fascistic markers that's hostile to American democracy, to the rule of law that venerates an individual that's a cult of personality. Oh, yeah, I won't argue the cult of personality thing, but um, let's back up a little bit and uh, let's kind of break some of this down. A statist authoritarian a statist i think uh that it comes down to the fact that he put travel bans in place he took a stronger negotiating position with china and uh he made the nato allies pay their dues and he also criticized the who for being heavily influenced by china that's what makes him a statist by the way which all of those things i think you could argue are in american interest the eight percent of this country that's voted for a statist authoritarian authoritarian yeah okay movement with fascistic markers that that's not even a fucking thing Fasci fascistic markers give me a break i, I mean you could you anybody uh, obama ran on hope and change which is very analogous to what hitler ran on it's hostile to american democracy to well maybe to the rule of law uh no just the rule of law as it applies to him that venerates an individual that's a cult of personality well, I think that's just jealousy. Um, I think that Tucker Carlson is the front runner for the Republican nomination in 2024. What, what you're going to see is every Republican candidate will kowtow to the conspiracy that Trump was stabbed in the back by unseen malicious forces of the deep state, that the election was stolen, that it's illegitimate. I mean, forever, forever, more than a majority of the Republican Party. Uh, will believe this was an illegitimate election because they have been poisoned by the Murdoch operation, by OAN. By the irony that this is on MSNBC, by the way. <laughs> poisoned by the Murdoch operation, by OAN, by Sinclair. OAN has a smaller audience than MSNBC has. Uh, by the toxic sludge of sewage and crap and disinformation and lies that flows on Facebook 
into the screens of the American people. You're not smart enough to discern information for yourself and judge. And so this is a long-term fight. You know, we have an emboldened white supremacist, white nationalist movement in this country now because of Trump. Uh, but to say nothing about Antifa and all of the left-wing violence that's been happening in the Pacific Northwest and across the country. We see a militia movement that has become part and parcel of the Republican Party, where it's now standard operating procedure at a at a political rally to see the guys with their AR-15s. It's, I think, people that are just proud of their gun rights and they're looking for a symbol to really kind of drive that message. I think you're misinterpreting that one. So all of this needs to be sealed back under a sarcophagus of the type that lays over the Chernobyl reactor. There you go. There you go. How about that? Not winning gracefully. Lincoln Project, not winning gracefully. And okay, here's an example of what I am worried about. And this is going to be a fundamental shift in your reality. And I, I think it's one that the, the Unfilter show is specifically built to solve. But let's get into this. Here's an example. So Joe comes out. He gives a very standard vanilla speech. Very typical politician, especially what we're familiar with from the presidents. It's, again, trying to message that they're the winners. What, what kind of claiming that they've won without outright claiming they've won. So that way they have legal ambiguity. And he tries to sound presidential best he can. The problem is, just like Don, Joe isn't a very good reader. My fellow Americans, we don't have a final declaration of victory yet. But the numbers tell us it's clear. Tell us a clear and convincing story. He's a little out of breath coming up that ramp. We're going to win this race. Just look at what has happened since yesterday. 24 hours. We were behind in Georgia. Now we're ahead. And we're going to win that state. 24 hours ago, we were behind in Pennsylvania. And we are going to win Pennsylvania. This is the same venue that they had the slimmed down DNC convention at. They just never really bothered to move. They just kind of had it wired up and uh, they kept it. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. It's just Joe never had to move. He goes from home to here. So I want to play. I'm going to jump ahead um, about six minutes into the speech because it you know, kind of starts with how he feels like they're going to win. But I want to get to the stuff that's really being considered the presidential meat of the speech. They're a sign of a vigorous debate of deeply held views. We have to remember the purpose of our politics is in total, unrelenting, unending warfare. No, the purpose of our politics, the work of the nation, isn't to fan the flames of conflict, but to solve problems, to guarantee justice, to give everybody a fair shot, and to improve the lives of our people. We may be opponents, but we're not enemies. We're Americans. Now, that's, that's all well and good, and it's kind of what America expects their president to say, which is exactly why he's saying it. He's delivering on what he promised, in a sense, that he would be the vanilla bread president. But it's also a very clever strategy to get ahead of the whole thing, before the thing's even gone to courts, essentially become the new president to the American people. And that's what he's projecting here. No matter who you voted for, I'm certain of one thing. The vast majority of the 150, Ameri 150 million Americans who voted, they want to get the vitriol out of our politics. We're certainly not going to agree on a lot of issues. 
at least we can agree to be civil with one another. We have to put the anger and the demonization behind us. It's time for us to come together as a nation to heal. It's not going to be easy, but we have to try. My responsibility as president will be to represent the whole nation. And I want you to know that I'll work as hard for those who voted against me as those who voted for me. I find it amazing that he stumbles a little bit, as even as much as he did there, because I have, I have literally heard him say that seventy-five times. I can't even tell you how many times I have been watching streams, and I have, I have heard him say that line, and I'm sure he said it more than I have observed, and he still kind of fumbles it a little bit there. It's also pretty monotone. It's one pitch. It's just sort of Joe impersonating Clint Eastwood. And something else I've observed about Joe, and I, I haven't really mentioned it because I think he he legitimately has struggled with a stutter, and I also I sometimes fumble when I start talking about numbers. I've even gotten the COVID numbers wrong on this show before, so I didn't really want to make fun of it, but I want to point it out to you so maybe you can observe it, is whenever numbers come up, he really seems to drop it. That's where, and I don't know if he has some sort of confidence issue there, if it's some sort of mental issue, but he always fumbles numbers every single time. Cam Cam is way better at the numbers. But it just wasn't overall. I, I think it was a pretty standard speech. And I, I would hope it's not his best. I'd hope it's not his worst. I think it's like kind of in the middle. Right. I, I would hope there was some coaching and some sleep and timing it instead of at 11 p.m. at night when it's late for a 74 year old or 77 year old. I'm sorry. Um, by the way, happy birthday to Joe. <laughs> it's his birthday on the 20th and the American public has given him quite the gift or somebody has. <laughs> but you know it's 10:55 p.m. when he's giving that when he's giving that speech. He's not a young guy. I would be tired. I wouldn't be at my best. I'm not even my best at 3 p.m. versus noon. Seriously. As somebody who does this every single day, I know there's earlier in the day I have higher energy. So I can I could totally I could totally see him, you know, maybe like a state of the union. He's been he's been resting for like 3 days. They got him juiced up. He's got his hair just right. He's got his teeth polished up. He's slept. He could probably be pretty high energy at a State of the Union kind of address, right? Or maybe his, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, of course, the inauguration, right, of course, right? So I'd say it's middle of the road at best. If you watch the entire speech, which you can find plenty of copies on YouTube, he stumbles a lot more than what I played because my point here isn't to try to make fun of him, but my point is to point out that it's middle of the road. Now, here's the problem. What we have is yet another indicator of how the media is going to handle a Biden presidency. Just as they have completely avoided the Hunter Biden laptop scandal to help out the new boss, listen to how they react to that middle-of-the-road sleepy speech. It was quite a contrast from what we heard from President Trump yesterday, if that's when it was. Uh, President Trump's address was about him. It was about his anger. It was about his grievance. It was about his desire to stay in power, uh, we just heard uh, a different message. And he talked about how the nation needs to come together, that people might be opponents, but they are not enemies. What was so striking was how big the speech was. Big and all-encompassing and not just about the specifics about coronavirus and other things that he wants to do, which are very important, but about democracy and about coming together and about the need for a more perfect union. I mean. It was a soaring speech, as as soaring as we have heard from Joe Biden, maybe since his his Gettysburg speech uh, during the campaign. Uh, but he has made the pivot 
from candidate to president-elect rhetorically. I was, I was struck by exactly that. He said, the purpose of our politics isn't total unrelenting warfare. Mm -hmm. It was not about him. It was about the country and about what he's going to do. It was interesting to hear Dennis say that she felt it was a soaring address. One of the things I was thinking is just how kind of normal and traditionally presidential uh, a speech it was, ran some seven minutes or, or, or so. Uh, and perhaps that sounds particularly soaring given what we have become used to uh, over the last four years, just in, in uh, the kind of remarks we're used to hearing. So uh, I also thought it was interesting that he both talked about, the, the made sure to talk about the human uh, uh, losses, the, the, the pain that exists out there. When you think about Donald Trump's speech last night, it was all about challenging the legitimacy of the process, undermining democracy, you know, charging falsely that, you know, votes weren't counted, et cetera, et cetera, that and that the votes should stop being counted. Biden tonight spoke about the legitimacy of democracy and applauded democracy and praised the way it works. And he was optimistic. He was not full of grievance. This wasn't about me, me, me. It was about America, 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 and being president of all Americans. And when I listened to it, I thought, okay, this is a speech that was kind of written by professionals who understand what it's like to be a gracious winner and to behave that way. I'm happy. I'm just going to say, <laughs> I'm happy. I like the speech. I like the empathy. I like the optimism. I, I like it. It's just good. And, you know, with, he, this guy's going to need a lot of help. Okay, if he wants to do what he's talking about, if he wants to bring people together, he's going to need a lot of help, and he's asking for it, and he's worthy of it. Uh, Winston Churchill says, deserve victory. That's a man that deserves the help of a nation to get together. Wow. All right, let's just remember exactly how CNN handled Trump's speech. We have never seen, really, other than... Well, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this from a president of the United States. And uh, I think, as Jake said, it is it's sad and it is truly pathetic. And of course, it is dangerous. And of course, it will go to courts. But you'll notice the president did not have any evidence presented at all. Nothing. No real actual evidence uh, of any kind of fraud. He talked about people putting up papers in windows. He talked about things that he'd seen on the Internet that is the president of the United States. That is the most powerful person in the world. And we see him like an obese turtle on his back, flailing in the hot sun, realizing his time is over. Oh, my gosh, it's Anderson Cooper, everybody. Yeah, so they kind of have a different tone between how they cover Biden and how they cover Trump. Um, you know, uh, and <laughs> I think it's a real indicator of where this is going. Biden performs at a solid medium. You know, I, I'd give him a C plus on that on that speech, maybe a B minus. No, no, no. I mean, I was going to give him a B minus for the hour of the day, but he chose to he chose to run for president. That's the game. So I'm going to give him a C. He gets a C and they're and they're going on for 10 minutes on, you know, what a messiah he is and how racism is solved. And it's just ridiculous before he's even gotten in office. It's really something. And I, I again, I go back to I don't, I don't necessarily know if there's been fraud, but I think it's clear this is going to affect the media if Biden wins. I don't know about anything else, but I know that. 
I have zero doubt, zero doubt the Biden administration gets less scrutiny, which means less transparency for the people. And it means they're going to do more messaging and more praise and less information. It also means it's going to be mostly, and I want you to prepare for this to even possibly play out on the show. It's possible that if you want information that isn't what the establishment wants you to know, it's going to be mostly right-wing and non-establishment outlets that carry the more critical news. This is how it was when the show was on the air during the Biden administration. It's, it's just the reality of the outlets. In a twisted way, it's not like I'm excited about it. A Biden presidency means unfilter is more needed than ever. The media will be all in for Joe. The show will take news from all of the sources, and I'll try to have a reason and balanced take. You know, Unfilter is reclaiming its name here. When the show started during the Obama years, I called it Unfilter because the show was reacting to the fact that the news was heavily filtered. It was my reaction to that fact. You weren't getting the full picture. And during the Trump years, every little move he's made, it's hard to even imagine what it was like because every little move, every rumored thing he's said to have said, you know, anything that comes out of the White House that's even got a, just a hint of possibility to it, they cover. And it becomes at least a 24-hour news story, if not longer. Everything. In a way, it sort of forced a transparency onto the White House that I've never seen in my lifetime ever. And then you combine that with the fact that Trump just runs his mouth sometimes. And even though it wasn't intentional, you got so much more insight into what the hell. Oh, and his crazy Twitter feed, of course. That's not going to be happening. Biden's not going to be projecting his thoughts on an important issue via Twitter. <laughs> I don't even know if he's going to be enumerating them. Who knows how that's going to work? I expect that I expect that this is going to get flipped. I, that's what I expect is that this narrative again, this this way this has worked when the show started, it's going to go more back to that. Back to the Obama era style of media coverage. And it might it might actually mean there's less outrage and there's less clicks, you know, less clickbait. And that might actually be a good thing. The news continues to go on. The world doesn't stop, right? But how it gets reported on will. But, you know, that's where the show comes in. I'll do my best to get it from all the sources and still try to give you a real picture. What we can tell as a people what's going on right now, even if that's not what's going to happen anywhere else. And it's not like you've been getting a, like an honest picture from them to begin with, but just imagine how it's going to be now. And Sidney Powell who is like an all-in Trump supporter lawyer who helped like defend um, Flynn. Well, she was on uh, Lou Dobbs' show, I think it was, and she pointed out there's a couple of things software-wise that are, are worth thinking about and asking questions about. Well, joining us now, Tom Fitton. He's the president of Judicial Watch, Sidney Powell, General Michael Flynn's defense attorney, former federal prosecutor, best-selling author. Uh, I want to say, first of all, thank you both for being here, and I appreciate it. Sidney, let's start with uh, this election process. Uh, we just heard from John Solomon that the FBI indeed is being diligent, is involved, and we all hope he is exactly right. Uh, your thoughts first about the, the knowledge now that uh, the Justice Department is involved in this uh, review of the election. 
Well, I'm delighted to hear that. I think there are any number of things they need to investigate, including the likelihood that 3% of the vote total was changed in the pre-election voting ballots that were collected digitally by using the Hammer program and a software program called Scorecard. That would have amounted to a massive change in the vote that would have gone across the country and explains a lot of what we're seeing. In addition, they ran an algorithm to calculate votes they might need to come up with for Mr. Biden in specific areas. I think that explains what happened in Michigan, where the computer glitch resulted in a change of votes of uh, about 5,500 in favor of President Trump, just in one of 47 districts. All those districts need to be checked for that same, quote, software glitch, end quote, that would change the result in Michigan dramatically. Um, the same thing is happening in other states. We've had hundreds of thousands of ballots mysteriously appear for uh, solely for Mr. Biden, which is statistically impossible as a matter of mathematics. It, it can all be documented. We are putting it into materials that we will file in federal court, and we need to seek relief in multiple states to enjoin the certification of any election results. Tom Fitton, as, as you listen to, to Sydney, that that sounds like a, a strong case for a straightforward allegation of, uh, of fraud. The two programs that she just mentioned, I'm going to ask you right now, have, have you ever heard of them? Because I had not heard of them. No, I mean, there have been noises about it on the Internet, but I don't know anything beyond what uh, Sydney's reporting now. I, you know, I go back to the numbers you reported at the beginning of the segment. The president was winning on Tuesday. Right. And he's not winning now. And he's not winning now as a result of a process that the voters can't have confidence in, the state legislatures can't have confidence in, and in my view, the courts can't have confidence in. I feel like that is absolutely the case. Um, and, you know, this would be the conversation in a in a much more pronounced fashion if Trump was announced winner this morning. I can't really put my, my, my finger on it, but something feels off. But I kind of see it as like, well, I, I thought it, I, I, I thought it was kind of obvious, not because of the polls, but because the system, the system has to self-correct. I mean, there is a ginormous organization underneath the White House. And Trump is just too chaotic. Honestly, this is probably better for him than what would have happened if he would have won. You know the Democrats would have never stopped going after him. Impeachment, 25th Amendment, who knows what they would have thrown at him. At least this way, you know, uh, maybe he has a shot legally. But one thing is clear out of all of this is all of the pollsters need to be fired. Because the blue wave that was just absolutely predicted that would sweep the lower seats of government, well, of course, it just totally did not happen. Joe Biden is up 12 points. A 12-point national lead sets the table for a potential blue wave. President Trump is predicting a red wave next Tuesday, but looking at the latest poll numbers, he may be getting the color wrong. Joe Biden has the biggest, most durable and broadest lead of any presidential candidate in the modern era. And a world where John Cornyn can lose in Texas is a world where, you know, you, you're looking, you could have a plausible conversation about Democratic landslides. More likely 
that there's a Joe Biden landslide than there is a, a Donald Trump victory. And, and if 10 percent of the Republicans who didn't like him last time, but if they flip this time, Joe Biden is going to win in a landslide. It's more likely that Biden will win a substantial, maybe a landslide victory in the Electoral College. We need to be open minded but that this race might not even be close. After Donald Trump loses in a landslide. I actually think Trump's going to lose in a landslide. I believe that this is going to be a landslide victory. You know, it was a win for Joe, but it was anything but a landslide. And there wasn't a moral mandate in the lower decks of government. So what the hell? Why do we even listen to the pollsters? You know, I I, I got to hope. I got to hope after 2016 and 2020 that the last three weeks of the election, we can just stop talking about the polls and maybe we could talk about issues. What is Joe Biden's stance on trade with China? What about Iran? Does he plan to try to get back into some sort of deal? How about how about some information about his policy in the Middle East? It seems like Trump was trying to do a spin down. Will he continue Trump's tradition of no new interventions and no new wars? Or will Biden accelerate our interventions in the Middle East? Will he prepare us for a more competitive position with China? None of this was addressed. None of it. None of it. Nothing about the drone program, nothing about NSA spying, and very little information, very little time, very little clarity given to anything about health policy. Nothing really more than just a vague, go look at our plan on our website, which is just such shit. So all the pollsters need to be fired. And if this wasn't bad enough for Trump, of course, his White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, tested positive for COVID-19, which is super embarrassing. We begin with David at the White House. David. Hi, Neil. Good morning to you. A lot of news this morning at the White House. The president tweeting several times about alleged fraud. And I say alleged fraud because there's absolutely no proof right now that there is any fraud with some of this ballot counting. But he t I got to say this, um, not to interrupt, but I just. I didn't want to forget this point. I think when Donald Trump starts his new media empire, job number one is he needs to start his own social network. Since the election night, Twitter has nearly censored him nearly 40% of the time that he's tweeted right now. And again, he's the president of the United States. It's not like it's Donald Trump, the citizen right now. He's president of the United States. It's, it's newsworthy. And he will lose his protected status, which he currently has. In January. So they're, they're gonna, he has a public interest status right now that apparently lets him off the hook more than most, more than usual. Well, that's going to go away in January. So he's going to have to start his own social network. It'll be interesting to see if he does and what technology platform they use. Anyways, I continue on. Sorry. Tweeted that this morning. Our sources also say President Trump has no uh, intentions to concede this race at this time, and he plans to continue this through the courts as long as possible. I want to put up a, a full screen right now. It's a screen grab I took just a few minutes ago. You can see four of the president's tweets this morning blocked by Twitter. They're flagged as potential misinformation. In the tweets, he's talking about ballot counting and alluding to fraud. Just a few months ago, it was big news when Twitter flagged its first presidential tweet, but Neil, over the past week, it's happened frequently. 
This morning, votes will continue to be counted in Philadelphia, where the president is alleging some of that fraud and corruption. But his team has yet to show a specific instance of that fraud. As I mentioned, Republicans and Democrats have been allowed inside to watch vote counting, specifically in Pennsylvania and in other states. And Neil, last night, Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito ordered ballots received after 8 p.m. on Election Day in Pennsylvania be segregated. That means locking them down for the time being. It's likely they'll be counted, but this keeps those late ones separate. The normally Trump-friendly Wall Street Journal editorial page out with a new op-ed last night. I want to read part of it. It says, Mr. Trump hates to lose, and no doubt he will fight to the end. But if defeat comes, he will serve himself and his country best by honoring America's democratic traditions and leaving office with dignity. I think he kind of has to, right? Especially if he ever wants to run again. Also breaking overnight, specifically from the White House, we have confirmed that White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows tested positive for COVID-19. We have video of him on Monday in Scranton, the day before the election. He was seen without a mask. In some instances, he was high-fiving supporters not adhering to any social distancing guidelines put forward by the CDC. He was in with the president at campaign headquarters the next day on election day in the East Room overnight about 2.30 in the morning. Both times he was not wearing a mask. We're told- <laughs> uh, I didn't mean to cut him off, but it's so funny because now there's been like lots of video clips coming online uh, of, of him, um, you know, not wearing a mask. I... Uh, I am I am braced for the worst. I'll tell you that I'll tell you why. Uh, Kamala has been a fair weather politician since the moment she started working the system, and she goes whichever way uh, the wind blows, and that's why when she's on CBS and uh, she's getting interviewed by Nora, she'll she can say, "Well, um, you know, open tracks is that uh, you're the most progressive politician in the Senate." That's because that's what was popular at the time. That's what was propelling politicians at the time. That was the wave. But when she was top cop in California, she had no problem sending people to jail for really petty stuff and then fighting to keep them there, adamantly fighting to keep them in jail, adamantly fighting to keep them in jail. You should look some of that stuff up. And then we have Joe. (laughs) You know, Corn Pop was a bad dude, and Joe's been around for a long time. Joe somehow a near corpse, walking corpse, and I hate to be so gross about it, but it is true. And I've had family members who have had mental decline, and it was really hard to watch them too. And one of the things that just becomes super, super apparent doing this show is Joe has changed a lot in the last couple of years. And when you go back to him being VP and then go back to him in the Senate, he sounds like Hunter. He sounds... He sounds vibrant, like he can go, like somebody can ask him a question and he, and he could go for four or five minutes on it. He's not that man anymore, and he still managed to beat Donald Trump, it seems. So I, I want to play this clip for you because now we're told that, you know, when Bo was on his deathbed, he told his dad to do something with his life, run for president. And then Joe wasn't sure what to do. Until Charlottesville, when those white supremacists with the veins bulging came out. And Joe knew what to do. He knew he had to run. And that's why Joe and Kamala are making history. But I just love to play this clip. It's probably the last time I'll ever have an excuse to play it. I admit, I have played it before, but it just seems like the perfect way to end the reaction stream to Joe Biden winning at least the presidency so far. Projected president-elect 
we will see how Trump uh, fares in the courts. But I have a feeling it's not going to be Bush versus Gore this time. I think this time Gore's winning. Democratic presidential candidate Joseph Biden today faces a controversy three weeks ago at a 1988 debate at the Iowa State Fair. He used phrases identical to those delivered by British Labor Party leader Neil Kinnock. Biden seemed to be claiming Kinnock's vision and life as his own. Why is it that my wife is sitting out there in the audience is the first in her family to ever go to college? Why is Glenis the first woman in her family? in a thousand generations to be able to get the university. My ancestors who worked in the coal mines in northeast Pennsylvania and come up after 12 hours and play football. Eight hours underground and then come up and play football. It's because they didn't have a platform upon which to stand. There was no platform upon which they could stand. The notion that every thought or notion or idea you'd have to go back and find and attribute to someone, I think is quite frankly, uh, ludicrous. The problem here is that Senator Biden told his audience he'd just been thinking about these things and he failed to give any credit at all to his famous British speechwriter. You know, I was thinking on the way over here. (laughs) Now that's a little too much because as you point out, what's behind the words? What's there? This is a great, I know I've said this too before, but in case you didn't catch it last time, this is such a great dichotomy here because you see today how a very mediocre speech is just gushed at by the CNN anchors. You know, it was big. That's what struck her, is it was so big. But it's also really easy for the media to go, well, what do these words mean? There's nothing behind these words. These are hollow politicians. He's a hollow politician. It just comes down to what? What path are they going to take in the conversation? And this is such a great example of that right here. Because as you point out, What's behind the words? What's there? And a lot of people, the rap on Biden has always been that it's just a surface. I should have said, to paraphrase Neil Kinnock, it's the only time I didn't in all the times I've ever used it. But CBS News found a tape of a second instance. It reappeared in the New York Times with a new charge, that Biden had appropriated a famous litany from the late Robert Kennedy about what the gross national product cannot measure. It cannot measure the health of our children. The health of our children. The quality of our education. The quality of their education. The joy of their play. For the joy of their play. Biden gave Kennedy no credit. He has also quoted or paraphrased John Kennedy, Hubert Humphrey, and British Labor Party leader Neil Kinnock, all without credit. Joseph Biden admitted today that he committed plagiarism when he was in law school. He said it was a mistake, but that it was unintentional. He quoted five pages of someone else's work without proper citation. I've done some dumb things, and I'll do dumb things again. He was given an F. So ladies and gentlemen, I've been dumb. To the political community in Washington, it all seems of a piece. Plagiarism at law school, plagiarism on the stump. The great communicator, strike that. The great imitator. You don't steal verbatim, uh, or when you do, as he did 99% of the time, you give credit. Biden's critics say he sells himself as a man whose words and visions can inspire a new generation in politics. But if the thoughts, phrases, and visions really belong to others, it's a form of false advertising. Is it a wise idea, though, to take something that personal anyway from another politician and try and appropriate it to your own campaign? I think it was a stupid thing to... Uh, appropriate uh, material that was really very personal that was someone else's. Most people didn't know who he was, you know, Joe Biden, Biden, and now they're going to say, oh yeah, he's the guy who plagiarized. That's a lot their of people. first 
Politically, that's devastating. These clips are devastating. He looks like a Joe Biden wind-up doll with somebody else's words coming out. If they're going to do things that are stupid as well as immoral, then they're probably too dumb to have the job of president. Voters are going to have to decide whether he was dishonest or dumb. Senator Joseph Biden may have more explaining to do. The new questions stem from with taped remarks of, of Biden States. during an April campaign appearance in New Hampshire. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship, the only one in my, in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. Went back to law school and in fact ended up in the top half of my class. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only 123 credits. Biden now concedes he did not graduate in the top half of his law school class, that he does not have three degrees from college, and that he was not named outstanding political science student in college. Newsweek says Biden actually went to school on a half scholarship, ended up near the bottom of his class, and won only one degree, not three. Joe Biden ranked 76th in a class of 85 at the University of Syracuse Law School. I mean, this guy comes off this whole thing as a flyweight. Now Biden says Newsweek is right. His memory had failed him. And I'd be delighted to sit down and compare my IQ to yours if you'd like, Frank. Joe Biden was victimized by the truth. Bye-bye, Biden. He may not know it yet, but I think this is very going to be very difficult for him to recover. Is Joe Biden dead meat, yes or no? I think so. Bob? It's in terminal condition. Terminal. Eleanor? Yes, unless he comes in third in Iowa. Morton? <laughs> Dying. I say dead. We'll be right back. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what's going to happen is history will try to project Trump as one of the worst men in U.S. history. The new Nixon, the new villain. I mean, history is won by the victor. It's written by the victor after all, right? So I think Trump won't be able to resist it. He'll have to be out there. He'll have to use his reach as best as he can. Because he has to hold anybody who grieves him accountable. You know, that's really his personality. So you're not done hearing from him, even if he doesn't win the White House. So that's how that's that's how, you know, it's going to be really something because you're going to have this weird sort of Rush Limbaugh 2.0 version out there really pushing one end of the party while Biden is in the White House and the Republicans still have quite a bit of power in the lower decks. It's going to really play out weird. I mean, the, the media will still have their villain, potentially. You may, I mean, wouldn't that be something if even after the election, if they can't stop talking about him? God, I hope not. But that's something we'll be watching. So as I, as I wrap, we still haven't heard from Joe Biden and, and Kamala yet, but they are expected to talk tonight. I'll be watching that. And then I think I'll probably go back to the regular schedule unless something really substantial breaks. But what I expect now is... To hear Joe declare victory, and then Monday, Tuesday, I expect us to start hearing the some at least some clarification from the Trump legal team. I'll try to process that, get clips on that, and then I'll put it all together in a show for you. I could I could definitely use some help if you'd like to join the effort over at unfiltered.show/discord. There's a clips channel if you find really good audio or video. That's always a great way to put it, and just tag me so that way I see it. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode or this week's. And thanks for tuning in today's episode of the Unfilter podcast. This week, we break news when it happens. Unfiltered.show slash uh, subscribe. 